Well, we're in a new study. We're going to be in the book of Joshua. And I was looking over my notes. It's been almost eight years since I was in the book of Joshua, in the service anyways. Um, And I said, it's time to go back through that book. And this is one of those um, books that is, it's, it's perfectly really situated for our timing even this year because we're beginning a new year. And the book of Joshua is about a new beginning. It's about going from the land of the wilderness, right, into the land of promise, in the land of Canaan. And it's really a picture of the Christian life, and it is a picture of uh, the spiritual battle that we are in, in this world, as we walk through. And God wants us to enter into His promises and to walk with Him in our days now. And the book of Joshua, just to set this up a little bit, was written about 1,300 years, 1,400 years before Christ. Uh, it is uh, situated right after the book of Deuteronomy, which you notice, you know, the first five books of the Bible, ending with Deuteronomy, are the books of Moses. And um, Moses is the author that is attributed to have written those and recorded those. But the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll be there in a moment, really it talks about the death of Moses. So we know Moses didn't write the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Many would say it was written by someone else. And originally, the book of Deuteronomy and the scrolls of Moses and the Torah and all that, that would have been included on a scroll. And probably the book of Joshua was just added to that. And later, when it was canonized by the Jews, um, it was broken out into its separate scroll. But the book of Joshua flows very naturally right from the time of Moses and his death into now handing the baton on to someone else, a new leader, a new time, a time where God was going to let his people uh, into a land. He was going to provide for them. And we're going to look at that as we uh, look at this series. The the title of this series is going to be Conquering Canaan. And I would just say that um, Canaan is often, uh, in our songs anyways, typified as the place of rest and the place that we will go, like crossing Jordan into heaven and all that. And I would say that's not a perfect picture, although I can certainly see some of those um, images that are there. We don't have to fight to get into heaven. We don't have to go in and deal with the enemy in heaven. In the book of Joshua, Joshua had to go in and there was a battle that would be laid out before him. And really, I think deeper, the, the land of Canaan is all about the, the promises of God and God's possession. For the Jews, it was the land and walking with the Lord. And for us, on this side of things, we are to walk with the Lord in the promises of Christ. And our blessings are a possession of spiritual blessings. And so we're going to look at that as we go through. We're looking at Joshua chapter 1 and these first nine verses. And the title of this morning's message is Looking Ahead. And let's pick that up starting in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. 
No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, and do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and have a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, we do open up your word once again. And we thank you that you've given us uh, another uh, year that, Lord, you have been faithful and you always will be faithful to us. And, Lord, we reflect on that, but we look ahead this year and we ask, oh God, that you'd help us walk with you better, that, Lord, we would be closer to you, that, Lord, you would teach us and give us courage to do that which is right, follow you and your book. And I pray now you'd open your book to us, Lord, the Word of God, that you might teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. We really have this account of the book of Joshua. And Joshua, I think, first of all, he's one of the great leaders of history. He really is. And sometimes maybe in the secular history it's overlooked. But I think Joshua ranks up there with men like Napoleon and men like uh, Alexander the Great as far as their, their stature in history, not necessarily their moral character. Um, you might have you know, Hannibal the Great or whatever who went in and, and actually uh, was able to bring elephants up over the Alps. <laughs> and that's a story and a half. And imagine uh, doing that and then going and invading Rome, one of the few that ever did that. Um, you have all kinds of... And really, the book of Joshua, it's, like I said, situated right after the book of Deuteronomy. And to get the context, you have to look at the, the preceding paragraphs right at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to do that because uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5, it says this, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. And it records the death of the servant Moses. Now, who was Moses? Well, Moses certainly was the one, remember, that God had used, uh, bringing, making him a leader and appointing him to be the deliverer of his people out of slavery from Egypt some 40 years before this event and the opening of the book of Joshua. And Moses, at age 120, he dies, he passes off the scene, and it goes on to say that, says, according to the word of the Lord, and it says, he bur- and he, that's the Lord, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Some have said, where's the grave of Moses? Frankly, we don't know. God buried Moses. And it's important that he did because, you know, I think we are in the habit of worshiping people, aren't we? Sometimes we, if we had a person like Moses, who was a great man who performed miracles by the hand of God, 
and we saw great deliverance, like somebody out of Moses, right? And he was just, Moses was a great prophet. He was a great man. And he was, a, he was a leader that God had made. And if Moses had died and his people had gone and buried him, they would have stayed right there around the grave of Moses. I really am convinced that way. And so many people live in the past and they are connected to that past and they will never go ahead of that past because they don't follow the right person. It says Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And I like that. That says something about Moses. He was a, he was a healthy man all the way up until his death. And I think, man, if I want to be like Moses, I'd, I wouldn't mind living to be 120, although I would rather be with the Lord. But I would say that if I didn't have to wear glasses and I didn't have a, a lack of vigor, lack, lack of vitality, all of that, Well, Moses was such a man. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Look what it says here. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all that mighty power and all that great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. And that's sort of how things end. And then it goes right into the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua in the Hebrew, I'm told, and I'm not an expert in Hebrew, but uh, looking at it, um, it, it begins actually with a conjunction that could be translated and. It isn't translated that in the English Bible. But it really, as I said before, should go right into Joshua chapter 1 and in, in verse 1 where it just says, right frankly, that Moses... It says, and after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. And now the story transitions to a new leader. And we're going to look at that this morning as we do that. Now, if you want an outline, and I don't have slides for the outline this morning, but um, the first point in this is very simple, that God can be trusted, all right? And then if you want something to look as far as in that uh, aspect. Uh, it's really that we look ahead, and you want to be looking ahead. Here we have the death of one of God's great servants. And I've already said a little bit about Moses, and we aren't going to dwell on Moses that much, other than to understand the timing of this. Uh, Joshua, who is mentioned here, and by the way, his name means God is salvation. Yehoshua, or, uh, and that would be the same name that actually in the New Testament, the name for Jesus, his Hebrew name would have been Yeshua, and it literally means God is salvation. So Joshua has a right name, and by the way, he's a picture of a greater who would come. He's a type of a greater who would come. Um, the book of Hebrews talks about our captain of our salvation, which is Jesus, and Jesus indeed is that one who is the true captain of our salvation. And here we have a leader, Joshua, who is also going to lead his people into a promised 
uh, place, a promised land. And we're going to look a little bit more at that as we go into it this morning and, and through our study. But we see Joshua. And by the way, uh, most of us have heard of John Wesley and Charles Wesley. Um, many of your hymns in the hymn book, uh, Charles Wesley wrote. Uh, matter of fact, that Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We just sang that in the recent weeks during the Christmas time. He wrote that song. Uh, Charles Wesley uh, wrote actually thousands of hymns in his time. And when he died and his brother died, of course, um, there was a monument that was erected in their memory. And it's at Westminster Abbey in London. And at the base of that monument, it says this, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. And I can't think of a more fitting description because if you think about John Wesley and his brother, Charles, they became what is known as the founders of the Methodist movement. Um, they basically, uh, they were both evangelists that way and teachers. And John Wesley spent many, many of his years on a, basically as a circuit riding minister, preacher, and he rode horse from little town to little town, congregation to congregation. And often he would go to places and just hold meetings like under a tree, for example, and call people to a meeting. And back in that time, in the 1700s, all right, you didn't do that. You met in churches, all right? You met in, in cathedrals. And he decided he'd go where the people were. And he would do that. And his brother was very much that way as well. And they went through England, where they were from, and all the way down through the eastern part of the United States. And out of the uh, evangelistic and teaching ministries of the Wesleys came, arose the Methodist movement. And they, it was very practical. They would go, have meetings. When they had 12 people that were Christians, and there was a maturity aspect to at least a few of them, they would appoint leaders, and they would move on. And they would do that, and then that reproduced. And it really was an amazing movement. And um, I would say that it would, people would do well to go back to some of the principles that were there in doing that. But Wesley and his brother, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, are dead. They, they can't help us today. I wish they would because there's a lot of work out there. And I would love to see people out there just, you know, reproducing churches and going and going and going like that. And it was for a time and for a season, no doubt. But they, they can't help us today. And indeed, God buries his servants, but his work continues on, and he continues his work on. And he's doing that today. He's doing that with us, and he continues. I am always mindful of that. Sometimes when I'm here alone and I'm locking up or something, I'll go to that front door and I'll lock that last, and there's a picture of Pastor Goopel right there, right? And and, and I, I think that's a good thing there because it's a reminder that this work was handed on to others. And, but he's been gone, gone for over 20 years now. And I think about that. I think, wow, I wish he was around sometimes. I could ask him some questions on how to do this right. <laughs> you know? and, and he, he isn't. You know, his work continues on. God's work continues on. And that's the way it is. And I wish it wasn't like that sometimes. I wish we could go back to the past and we could talk to Moses and say, Moses, how does this work? But Moses, all he could do is prepare a Joshua. Some 40 years before the opening of the book of, of Joshua, you have the Exodus. And I think McGee calls the, uh, he says, if 
You have the book of Exodus, which means coming out. Uh, this is an isodus, all right, an in. They're going into the land. And that was the, the story. And by the way, God had promised his people when they were in Egypt, promised Moses that he would just deliver them into the land of Canaan. But because they lacked the trust in God and faith and belief, God said, I'll let this whole generation just wander around in the wilderness till you all die. Moses was part of that generation. And it wasn't that he was a man who lacked faith, but he was a man that at times didn't do everything right. And he struck the rock when he shouldn't have. And God said, because of that, you won't enter into the land. That sounds pretty harsh, but that rock was a type of Christ, a picture. And it was a pattern, and God commanded him to do something a certain way, and, and that's not what was the way it was supposed to happen. Um, and by the way, God takes his, his message seriously, and he takes his word seriously, and he wants us to follow it wholeheartedly, and he wants such a leader. And Joshua was one of two men 40 years before this, who were called, uh, there were 12 of them called to go into the land of Canaan and to scout it out. And they were to go there and come back with a report. And 10 of the men came back with a bad report. They, we can't do this. It's too many people. They're, they're, they're huge. We're like grasshoppers, you know, or they're like grasshoppers. We're just little, you know, here we are. We're just small. We're just a small nation. And there's no way we can do it. And yet, they came back and said, but the land is flowing with milk and honey. And you know, God says, and and Joshua and a man named Caleb came back, and they believed God, and they believed they could go in. Forty years later, they would be the only two of that generation who would go in. By the way, God is looking for people who are willing to walk with Him, and He's looking for believers who are willing to go a little step further in walking with Him. It wasn't that all of Israel was unbelieving in the Lord. They had seen God's hand. They had done that. But they did not want to trust Him in their walk. They didn't want to trust Him in their day. And you know, there are many believers who they spend their entire life and they say, well, I I believe God for salvation. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Uh, But I don't really want to follow that closely. I got some things in my life I don't want to give up. And you know what? At best... You're going to wander around in a barren wilderness until you drop, (laughs) okay? And that isn't what God wants for His people. He wants us to be, well, prosperous and successful spiritually, spiritually. You may not be reflected in your checkbook or anything like that or in your bank account. We don't even use checks anymore, a lot of people, you know, so. uh, But uh, it, it isn't anything to do with the material, but the spiritual. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Have you entered into that promise? That blessing, he wants you to. He wants to do that. Well, they were to um, trust the Lord. And by the way, the outline for the book of Joshua is about, in the first 12 chapters, deals with taking the land or possessing the land. And that's verses or chapters 1 to 12. And then chapters 13 to 22 is settling in the land. Actually, being part of that and how they're to walk in that land. And then chapters 23 to 24, those last two chapters, retaining the land. Retaining the land. And I will say that that's really an allegory in some ways of the Christian life and the believer's life in that we are to go in, all right, uh, victorious in Christ spiritually, 
And we are to walk in this world, not part of the world, but we're to walk in it. And what's your conversation in this world? That's sort of the the settling of the land, right? But then retaining those things. And sometimes areas in your life or areas through corporately in a church that you've fought hard for to gain ground as far as spiritual ground sometimes have to be retaken again. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish that the temptations that used to overtake me when I was not a Christian would not overtake me afterwards, but sometimes they do. And that's the nature of sin, and if you feed it, it will always win. So be careful with that. Well, change. We find that change happens, and that's what goes on here. There is a change. And I said, I'll give you an outline. The first one is letting go of the past. Letting go of the past. I think I said uh, looking ahead, but I out of order there. Uh, let go of the past. And that's what Joshua was commanded to do. And if you look at verse 2, very simply says, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's dead. That's a wake-up call. Joshua, don't sit there and mourn anymore. Get up. Moses is dead. Sometimes it's that harsh reality that settles in on us that the chapter in our life is no longer there. And it's time to turn the page. A new year is a natural place where a lot of people try to turn the page, right? And we make New Year's resolutions. And I don't know, maybe you've already broken your resolution as of this morning. I don't know. But that happens, doesn't it? Uh, They say that uh, January is the month where most of the exercise companies, you know, make the most money on their exercise machines and all of that. It's also, by the way, February is the month that you can get a really good deal on them, all right? Usually from people that have sold them already and and doing that. Uh, and, And there's all kinds of those resolutions that people make, and they do that. Well, this is a a case where God is saying to Joshua, you know, Moses is dead and you're no longer looking to him for leadership. You're it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but every now and again that happens. It's like all of a sudden, you're it. Wow, how did that happen? And all of a sudden, you're the point person that is called to lead. Or you may have experienced it elsewhere where someone else comes on the scene and they're leading. And Joshua had that. He had that, all the the fears that go with that and the stresses that go with that and the the worries and the concerns, those kind of things. And yet Moses had prepared him. He was the assistant to Moses. That's what the book of Deuteronomy says. And that's quite an assistant. Now Moses is gone. He He has to fill those shoes in some ways. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes very similar in, really, it almost parallels what the book of Joshua says. But in this regard, Paul uh, talks about, and he writes to the Philippian church here, and he talks about pressing forward and not looking back. And let's pick that up, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And Paul begins to list his credentials. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. In other words, he was a keeper of the law 
And he was, as he goes on to say, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was active in his pharisaical ways. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He was blameless in accordance to the law, and yet he knew also he was a sinner. Look what he says there. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. What Paul says here is that all those things, that resume that he had, was not worth a hill of beans. It was basically uh, refuse, is the word that he describes. And that's what it was. The things that we trust in the flesh, by the way, cannot save us. The things that we do in the flesh only, in our strength, will fail us because our flesh eventually fails. And yet, God can take that which is weak and He can take someone who is maybe past their prime and use them mightily. And that's what we see in the case of the book of Joshua is that Joshua, when he comes on the scene, you figure... First of all, he was part of that younger generation that had come out of Egypt. And for 40 years, he had to wander around in that wilderness experience and watch all these people around him die. And he was no longer a young, vibrant man when he enters into the opening of the book of Joshua. Some would say he's anywhere between 65 and maybe 80 um, you know, in that time frame. So he's in those years that we all are looking for retirement, right? Uh, and yet God is going to use him in those years and beyond uh, for the next uh, years to do that. And we see that with, with Joshua. Anyways, Paul goes on to say this, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul says, my most important thing in this life and beyond is the gain of Christ. Not the things that I accumulate. Not the resume that I have, which didn't work out well for Paul because he met the one who checked him right at the door when he was on the road to Damascus and he met the resurrected Christ and he knew the power of the resurrected Christ and he was knocked right down in the dust and he was blinded until later he would receive his sight in Damascus and he would be converted. And we read of that in the book of Acts chapter 9. You read of a marvelous conversion of Saul of Tarsus who becomes later the Apostle Paul. And he goes and says this, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. By the way, Moses represented the law. It was by Moses that the hand uh, or the finger of God gave the law. And he's often associated with the law of God. Nothing wrong with the law of God, but the law of God cannot make you righteous. It'll make you judged and condemned is what it is. And Moses pictures for us the, certainly the righteousness of God that was in the law, was, was seen in the law, but it could not produce righteousness in anybody. It, the law could not bring the nation of Israel into the place of God's promise. That had to go in and they had to, be, they had to possess that land. He goes on to say, 
But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You want righteousness? You'll get it only one way, by faith in Christ. That's it. It's not in one, anything you do. It's not anything that your pastor can do for you. It's not in anything that you will see or, or experience or do here in this world that will produce righteousness. Even the best of your works are not worth rubbish, just so you know, in comparison with God. His righteousness comes by faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. There's no going back. And by the way, the course of this world is always pushing you back. That's the way it is. It's always holding you back. And the walk that Christ wants is a walk with Him that sometimes means going against the flow. Remember a few years ago, uh, probably almost 20 years ago now, a group of us um, went up to Allagash Lake. And to come into Allagash Lake, the headwaters of the Allagash are almost there, you end up having to, well, you can come in a couple different ways, but the most, most of the time when we've come in, we come in through a little pond, Johnson Pond, which is just above it, and upstream, and it comes down and through a little beaver flowage. You have to drag your canoe often down through this about maybe half a mile, maybe not quite that, maybe a quarter mile, and you go into Allagash Stream, and we did this, it was probably late June, mid-June, somewhere in that range, uh, went in, and I had, uh, at that time, I had um, uh, Sam with me, if I remember correct, or it was Ben, one or the other. But anyways, I had them, Ben was just a little kid, and I, yeah, I had Sam, because there was another person with us as well, and my father-in-law, and we uh, came down into that, we did some fishing on the lake. The only problem was, it rained, I mean, downpoured for a solid three to four days while we were in there. I mean, it rained and rained and rained. And thankfully, fishing was great. We had a good time. You don't even notice the rain, right, Roland? When, when, when the fishing's good, you're just out there, you know, having a good time, all of that. Well, we went to pack up and leave. And we came back upstream to the, the Allagash Stream. And literally, the stream, which we had come down a few days before, had risen vertically about four feet. And it was a lot more water flowing because it comes up quick there. And it was overflowing in some of the banks and everything else. And it was, as my father-in-law described it, like a Mexican standoff. You would paddle, 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 and you might go just, you look on the side of the shore as you're trying to gain, and you would just get up there a few inches. And we worked really hard, hardest paddle I've ever done to get upstream back to the way we came in. And you know, if you stop any time during that, and it took us probably... I'd say close to an hour and a half to two hours to get back upstream to where we were. And if I had stopped paddling at any given time, it, it, you immediately you lost ground fast. And you were headed back downstream. And there really wasn't any way out that way. 
All right, except for a long haul that would go down there without any vehicles to get out or anything like that. And I thought about that because that really is very similar to the Christian life, isn't it? You know, things are going well and you think, hey, I'm okay, you know, I'm out here having a good time, enjoying things, all that. But listen, there are challenges that arise and they're for our betterment and God wants us to press forward and not look back. Joshua was a new guy. And that's point number two, by the way. Get ready to move forward, all right? So let go of the past, but get ready to move forward. And that's what Paul later says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And by the way, a prize is something to be won. I know we live in a day and age where everybody gets a prize, right? Like that seems to be sad. And I mean that. It's sad because it lessens the value of a prize or an award if everybody gets it. Maybe nobody's feelings are hurt, but it's not really a valuable prize if everybody gets it. Paul says there's a prize that awaits the believer, and I believe the value of that prize, well, it's Christ himself and being with him. And yes, If you're truly a believer, you will be in heaven in his presence someday. But you realize also that there is really a special... Paul talks about crowns. I don't think they're necessarily pictured like we see crowns on kings or queens or something like that full of jewels. It it really was the crown of victory, a laurel wreath that was given to athletes who achieved their top spot. And they would be given a crown and it was... Well, that kind of crown perished. You know, as soon as the leaves dried up, it was just nothing but something that looked like something dead. But the crown that he has promised us is a crown of righteousness, a crown that is like and given glory to him. And in heaven, talks about those crowns being thrown back to him as saying, Lord, you are the one worthy. But there's an idea of the Christian life is a life of challenge. <clears throat> not easy this year won't be easy this year is going to be just as tough as the last one if not tougher all right i'm not a prophet uh but i will say that that's just the way i've seen it in the last well over 50 years now that that's how it goes there'll be challenges there'll be joys there'll be hard things there'll be some things in this year that may may make you feel like you're totally defeated press on grab hold of Christ and go forward. Joshua was told to do that. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. The Jordan River was in front of them, and it wasn't just this little stream. It was, according to the, uh, the chapters that are coming up, it was overflowing its banks. It was in the time of spring when those snows from the mountains of Lebanon were melting and coming down the Jordan River, which the word Jordan means descender. And it descends to the lowest place on the earth, the Great Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, from the mountains of, which are almost, uh, I don't know, like 2,500 feet or higher above sea level, down to the lowest place on earth, which is like some 1,500 feet or something like that, to the Dead Sea, below sea level in the course of about 90 miles. It's quite a river. Well, it's a river when there's water in it. 
you go there most of the time, I'm told, and I've seen pictures of the Jordan, it's, it's something you could easily cross. But sometimes it overflows its banks. And in doing so, in that time, it would have been an impossibility, it seemed, seemingly anyways. But yet, with God, nothing is impossible. He says, arise and go. Look what he goes on to say. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. By the way, that was listing the dimensions of the land that God promised his people, the Israelites, and they never came close to possessing that much land. Only about 10% of that land has actually been in their possession at any given time. And I, I think of that because even today, that part of the world is the most hotly contested piece of real estate. All right, And yet, the biblical deed that God promised to the Jews shows a land much bigger and much vaster that they were to possess. And yet, they did not possess it in their history. I might, might say this way, that there are probably many Christians that only possess a small portion of what God has given you in the sense of walking with Him and spiritual blessings because we choose not to. It's easier to settle down where you are than it is to expand the borders, spiritually speaking. And I think that's what went on in Israel as well. I think it's important that we look at... Um, opportunities that await us. And we're going to look at that as we go through the book of Joshua uh, and see that there were different battles they had to fight. There, there were things from within they had to deal with. There were things from without and, and enemies from without. And really, the book of Joshua pictures to us this world that uh, fights against us, right? And then also the, the enemy that's out there, the, we often talk about the world, the flesh, that's the enemy within, and the devil, that's the enemy without. And all those three things constantly battle for your soul and your attention and your spiritual walk and your energies and everything else, it battles for it. And how are you going to win the battle? The book of Joshua is about winning the battle. And the principles laid here, I truly believe, can benefit us greatly in this new year. I like what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, For a great and effective door has opened to me. And then he throws this, And there are many adversaries. I would love to say, Oh, ministry is just so wonderful and there's a great big door open. But as I say, every time the door opens for things, so do the adversaries try to challenge it. And you will find that and I will find that. And I have over and over again. Somebody comes forward and says, I want to stand for the Lord this year. I want to do that. And I can guarantee you, when you make that kind of decision, you also will get the attention of the enemy. And they will, he will come and, and he will fight with you over those things, over that ground that you claimed, that spiritual ground. Sometimes it's your own heart. Sometimes it's really, let's be real, it's easier to blame the devil for things, Right? Devil made me do it. Well, a lot of times it's me that made me do it, all right? And that happens too, the enemy within. 
And of course, the world system, it's out there. You can't change all that. It's always flashier. It's more glamorous. It's got more activity and technology and everything else. But you can be in that world, yet not buying into it in that sense. Um, and that world is out there. It's, it's like that. And are you going to listen to the still small voice of the Lord, right? Who draws you close to him, his, his bosom, and walking with him. That is the challenge. Well, next, we need to affirm, and this is point three, affirm the promises of God. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. By the way, that's a promise you can stand on. The Lord says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Whatever comes your way this, this year or whatever has come your way already, God's with you if you're one of his. And uh, I, I was talking to somebody recently who had had a, a sort of a trial that has hit again. And, and uh, that person just said, I know it's for a purpose. And that's true. For the believer, things happen for purpose. Even the bad things. I don't like that. It's probably not always the best way to put it when you're trying to comfort somebody. But in reality, theologically, the basis of that is to understand that God works with purpose and plan, doesn't He? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Paul was writing that in a world that was very contrary to Christians. And he had experienced that. God promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He goes on to say, Be strong and have a good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. There it is again. That you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I have, have I not commanded you, be strong and have a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. My friends, I, I, I'm not going to dwell too much on this part of this, but listen, we need to follow the Lord and as he says here, be of a good courage. That's affirming the promises of God. As he was with Moses, he was going to be with Joshua. Joshua could stand on that promise. As he was with the early church, he's with our church today. How about that? Stand on that promise. And God or Christ is with us in those things. They were to be a witness and they were to uh, make sure that they were strong and courageous. I love that. I underline that in my Bible and be strong and courageous and be of a good courage, right? And be strong, be courageous. You see those words over and over again and they're not unique only to the book of Joshua, but they're, um, they're there for us throughout the book over and over again. Read through the Psalms. And again, I'm sort of out of time here, but there's lots of Psalms that deal with the courage of the Lord and standing with Him in that. We need to be ready. 
How, do you, how are you ready? <clears throat> First of all, and quickly, know God's Word. Know God's Word. The fact that you're here on January 1st, in the morning on January 1st, tells me that you at least have a desire to learn the Word of God. Because most people aren't even out of bed right now, and those that don't go to church. And they're probably just wishing they hadn't been out last night on, January, on December 31st, right? <coughs> know God's Word. Talk about God's Word. They were to do that. They were to look forward and talk about God's Word. Speak it to people. Meditate on God's Word. Obey God's Word. Those are all areas that we do that. They're called to do that as well. By the way, I think that that is um, what we have to do. In a world that is contrary, and I think once a Christian decides they're going to take a stand for the Lord and do all those things and just fill themselves with the Word of God, um, you will, I'm telling you something, God will bless the way you go. I was talking recently, just two days ago, to um, an inmate. At uh, he's, he's in the Maine State Prison System. He said to me, I'm just finishing today the fifth time reading through the whole Bible. You know, every time he calls, it isn't often because they don't connect often, but when he calls, he talks about the Word of God. And it's gotten him through these years of sentencing. And uh, Lord willing, in April, he's going to get out. But he says, I am so glad that I have the Bible. This cherished possession. And I'm so thankful. How about you? You're not in prison, right? Maybe you are. I don't know. Somebody, but listen. Do you read the Word of God? This year is a good time to read through the Bible, to, do, to put it into your heart wholly, and to do that, and to speak the things of Christ. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Verse 9, Joshua says it this way, or God says it this way, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That verse is it's one of a very familiar verse. It's, it's a verse I've seen uh, posted in a number of different places. It's true. It resonates. I think the greatest thing you need in the new year, and often this is the time of year where people bless each other by saying, have a happy new year. And I would say, have a happy new year. That's great, but I, I can't dictate you're going to actually be happy. You might have an awful New Year. <laughs> well, then, I shouldn't even say that, right? It's just so counterculture this time of year. But the reality is you might have an awful, terrible time, and it may be just the scariest thing on the horizon that's going on. And I'll tell you something. The Word of God, it stands true. Be strong and have a good courage. Those are the things we need. So often, we, we don't go that way. I, I don't know how many times you know, people say, Be safe. You know, when I'm headed out in an ambulance or something like that. And I understand that. And I, I, I thank you for if you wish me being safe. I want to, but I can't always be safe. And my job isn't even that unsafe most of the time. Uh, except on the moose accidents and the other things that happen, you know, and the snowy roads and things like that. But there are people that have to go out and actually face very dangerous things. And if you say, be safe, they'll never do it.
as a law enforcement chaplain, I, I get things, you know, every now and again that uh, come across my desk or this or that. And I saw this police officer's prayer. Maybe you've seen it before. And I like this. This is what it says, the police officer's prayer. Lord, I ask for courage. Courage to face and conquer my own fears. Courage to take me where others will not go. I ask for strength. Strength of body to protect others and strength of spirit to lead others. I ask for dedication. Dedication to do my job and do it well. Dedication to my community to keep it safe. Give me, Lord, concern for others who trust me and compassion for those who need me. And please, Lord, through it all, be by my side or at my side. I think that's a good prayer. Lord, give us courage as we face a new year. Give us strength as we stand and we move on ground that the enemy doesn't want us to take. Father, thank you for your word. And oh Lord, we echo this prayer that Lord, you would give us courage and help us, oh God, to be people who will be people of the book, to meditate on it day and night, to memorize it, to get into it. And Lord, we thank you for the promises that are there. And we pray, Lord, you would deliver us from evil. And yet, Lord, if sin comes our way, evil things come our way, however that might be, that we would stand firm in Christ. And oh God, may you be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.